I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Keith Cheggers podcast. I am your host. My name is Hannah Norris, and I am here with... Carl Donnelly, husband, comedian, uh, soon-to-be father. Yeah, co-host. Co-host. <laughs> um, and this is a podcast about pregnancy. Um, this is episode 29 of our podcast. Ooh. I am at week 34 of my pregnancy, and we started this... In week six, because... A hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. No, 20, 28 weeks ago. Yes. Um, because we realised we didn't know anything really about pregnancy and what was to come. And we've been talking to guests and each other and discovering more about pregnancy and what's going on in my body and in our lives for the past little while. Um <clears throat> Now, we are joined by a guest today. We've got a few microphones set up and we've got her on Zoom. Um, So I'd like to introduce this person. She is a writer, an author, a comedian and also a mother. And her name is Viv Groskop. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Hi. I'm so thrilled to be part of your birth experience. (laughs) Oh, thank you. So I'm... I'm also like of all the things that you mentioned. Yeah, I am a mother, but I would say one of the things I am most of all is broody person. <laughs> oh, really? I'm just so broody always. My kids are nine, thirteen, and sixteen. Wow! So it's been nine years since I had a baby, and I never ever stop wanting to have a baby. So I look at your gorgeous pregnant belly and think, oh, I just really, really want a baby. It's really, it's really interesting. I, I do think that it's almost like the two type of two types of people. Just and this is I'm basing this purely on the guests we've had and you know, we did NCT and chatting to the other people on that. Like there's some there is definitely a split of women who love the the whole process of pregnancy and uh, women who genuinely find it as a sort of means to an end that they don't actually really care too much for. Yeah, well, I think it depends a lot on your experience because I feel very lucky that I had relatively positive experiences um, through all three of my pregnancies. I did have a miscarriage as well Mm. between my second and third child. So obviously that was a really horrible experience. But my experience of even late pregnancy when I was the size of like three rhinoceroses and people would come up to me in the street and say oh wow you're having twins and I would have to try and stop myself from punching them even then I I I was pretty healthy and happy and I I just I just love babies I'm one of those really weird people who probably in another life could kidnap <laughs> and were you like that before you had your first child before you got pregnant the first time um oh do you know I can't remember anything about the kind of person I was before I had <laughs> yeah. no I don't know um I I got married when I was 
26 mm-hmm. and I got pregnant at 29 and had my first child at, at 30 and he's now 16 and yeah. is nine foot tall and a Marxist, atheist, vegan. Um, <laughs> not something I ever expected to come out of my vagina. But when, so when I was, at, yeah, in my late 20s and really quite young to be married yeah. amongst friends and my husband's eight years older than me and he'd been previously married with no children so we wanted to have children quite quickly because he was that bit older and also I just knew that I really wanted to have children but like you're experiencing now um the closer you get to it especially when you're pregnant the more you realize you just have no clue yeah it's you go for it's a very abstract idea you know I think I want to have a child or I want to be a I want to be a parent or or maybe even I think some people think I don't want to be somebody who doesn't have children yeah Yeah. I actually think that's quite a common uh thing that it's almost the they they jump forward so many years in their head and think what would it be like to be an old person with no yeah younger family I guess what I discovered after I had my first child was that I absolutely love babies. You know, I mm-hmm. love babies and toddlers. And um, my children get annoyed with me now because I always, my head turns in the street when I see a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and my children always say, oh, you love you love strangers' babies more than you love us. <laughs> um, say, yes, I do. <laughs> there's a sort of slight truth to that yeah. because I find babies completely fascinating and toddlers and I... I think it's almost, I'm very attracted to um, abstract comedy and um, comedy around language and silliness. Yeah. And babies and toddlers just have that naturally all of the time. Yeah. They're mad. They are absolutely <laughs> mad. They're mental. They, they, their approach to the world is so weird. Like even when they're really, really tiny, the way they look at things and try to say things, it's just so entertaining. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've it's been terrible as well. I mustn't try and persuade you that it's going to be great. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I can see how it's going to be both. But it's interesting when you were saying at the start about, um, you know, how that idea of not really knowing much. And I've been reading a bit just about the way that communities changed and the way that, you know, people and in people in different cultures you spend a lot of time around babies and families and you've watched people breastfeed and you've you've looked after children and you've looked after tiny children and and how that's changed you know now that we kind of have since Victorian times really and we live in nuclear families and we don't have that same connection in a way that this podcast has been so good for that because we've been talking to all these different people yeah. about their experiences which I think has kind of educated us in some way from feeling like I've got no idea how to yeah, yeah, yeah. do this to okay well this is how other people have and this is what it's like for them um yeah just just seeing that from what what you were talking about yeah I was very aware of that I think when the baby actually came out yeah as one and I just sort of would look at him I almost want to say it then yeah <laughs> I would look at him in that, you know, in the hospital, uh, my first birth was was in hospital and they put them in this kind of fishbowl thing, like a plastic container. So it's like a plastic cot so you can see through it. And I would, he was in this cot and I would just lie in the bed with this plastic fishbowl next to me, fish tank. Yeah. And think, what am I supposed to do with that thing? Yeah. (laughs) 
I have no qualifications. Yeah, for yeah. I think that, that's a real common one. We've, I, I've got again. We've like when you speak to people that have gone through pregnancy, that moment they have when they realise they're in that transitionary moment between being pregnant and now having the baby is like that's just you spent nine months getting just used to being pregnant and then suddenly you've got the thing that it's resulted in and you're like yeah oh, this is actually and, much harder <laughs> this bit yeah and you do think exactly as you said hannah like i have not actually handled one of these before yeah i, I don't think i had changed a nappy no no before i had my own baby um and i certainly didn't know what are the signs of um, it's definitely about to die <laughs> yeah. compared to this is actually fine and it just needs to do a burp. Yeah. Yeah. Those two things are actually quite close together. And it's, so, up, and it's up to you to figure it out as well. Yeah, and, and you just end up thinking, God, you know, I put more effort and time into passing my driving test. Yeah. Did. How is this allowed? <laughs> um, but then you realise as well that it's, it's a very narcissistic uh, process becoming a parent. Mm. And you realise how you're you're thinking to yourself that this is such a big deal that you'd like, oh, my God, you've become a parent and you've got all this responsibility. And in fact, you're just doing something that millions of people do every day yeah. all of the time and, and that has happened to all of us when we were babies. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, I, I even found myself, we did NCT the other week. And I, on Zoom, on Zoom, which is strange. Oh, okay. But there was one bit where we sort of got split off into little groups, and me and um, one of the other, one of the mums to be, we were talking about like our main outlook being we just don't want to be parents like our parents were you know we want to be the opposite of our parents in how we go about it and it's and I suddenly you have these moments of realization where you're like I'm criticizing sort of the people that ultimately they did enough that I'm quite compassmentous and you know I'm actually I've turned out all right and I sit there moaning about how they did it and thinking we're going to do it so much better and it's like every person is a result of whatever style of parenting they did everyone billions and billions of people have managed to get everyone to turn out all right really so I find that thing of that that was a moment I had a bit of a realization that I was being really arrogant to go like I'm just going to be such a great dad you know (laughs) yeah well you'll soon get that um choked out of you (laughs) perhaps literally yeah I um I had that thing with NCT where kind of but then being around other pregnant people and going, oh, it's not that, it's not as special. Like <laughs> they're, they're doing it as well. It's just getting put together with some people when it's like yeah. being our it is, thing. It is, it is a very weird experience in terms of a personal experience, especially I think becoming a parent for the first time. Yeah. You know, it's very different. You, you can never ever become a parent for the first time twice. Mm. You, you can never go back to the non-parent person that you were. Like when, you, of course, every single child is special, especially if my children are listening to this. <laughs> every child is special, and every pregnancy and every birth is special, and is and is different, and and is wonderful and terrible, and all of those things. But having the first baby is, it's it's a hand grenade into your life, yeah, in a good way and a bad way, and it explodes all of your sense of self all of those ideas that you had of, yeah, I'm not going to do the things that people did to me. I'm going to be, I'm going to create a beautiful family. (laughs) Uh, It explodes all of those things. It shows you for a worse person, I think some of the time, but it also shows you that you're a better person than you thought you could be as well. 
Yeah. I've gone full on Oprah very early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good. I think, I mean, I don't know if you're just reading our facial expressions and going, I think this is what they need yeah. right now. Because <laughs> they're definitely feeling at that point of it's getting close. Because like I said, we've been recording these weekly since week six of my pregnancy because we did IVF as well. Okay. So kind of knew, so we knew and um, yeah, it was at that early stage of going, I don't really don't really know anything and and yeah to now be to be here and be almost ready yeah and getting to that point of it not being necessarily so much about the pregnancy now but it's about the baby getting here yeah and that change is um yeah how are you feeling Hannah towards the idea of giving birth I'm still fit I I'm quite excited about it that's how I feel and Hannah was very much in the minority at NCT in that (laughs) everyone else you could see was very quite rightly quite nervous about you know a lot of the questions were about pain relief and then Han- yeah Hannah seems to be the, the one weird outlier who's just like well excited to see what it feels like to push a baby out of her body yeah it feels like such a um it's an experience it's an experience that I want to know what it's all about and at the moment I'm very keen on it being as natural as possible, but I'm open to, you know, if I change my mind on that to um, using pain relief and things like that. But I want to, yeah, I want to, I want to know what it's all about. I don't want to. Yeah. Curiosity is a great use of uh, your mental powers. Mm. Like it's not a boring experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to approach it with cur- a curiosity and like almost like a detached curiosity. Yeah. Like, this is something that, yeah, of course you're going to do it, but your body's going to do it and your baby's going to do it. And they might have different ideas to what is in your mind. Yeah. You know, like you can have all the best will in the world about, and I've had um, three pretty extraordinary natural births, actually. Yeah. I'm very lucky. Um, but had I had a quirk of I nearly had um a breech baby with the second one yeah but she turned around she was turned well she was turned around um by a doctor actually um but you know I I couldn't have had a natural birth probably with breech although I did research it um and with my other pregnancies I could easily have had a back-to-back if you've got a back-to-back labor yeah very very little chance of doing that without pain relief and those are things you can't really control yeah so to approach it with a really open mind um and I certainly think it's quite easy for me to say I don't know how far you want to get into birth stories, oh, I'm, I'm into it the longest birth that I've had is four hours and wow. that was the first one the second one was one hour and the third <laughs> one was 40 minutes <laughs> And that's, um, that's from, because so kind of learned at NCT, there's the stages of labour, there's the first stage, then you kind of transition into the second stage. So that whole... So yeah, I, think, I don't really have those stages. No. <laughs> um, so all of those times are from the first contraction to wow. maybe being born. Wow. So with the first one, I was watching, I was actually watching, this is how old I am, oh, God, <laughs> Anna. I was watching the last series of Absolutely Fabulous. Oh, excellent. Um, with, um, I think it was some kind of face-off between Safi uh, and Adina. I remember watching it and feeling this twinge and thinking, I am, I think I was 41 or 42 weeks pregnant. I'm 42 weeks pregnant. 
this is a really, really inconvenient time to have food poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. I was absolutely convinced that yeah. it was, um, what do you call it when you have a oh, stomach cramp? You yeah. Know, a stomach cramp from terrible food poisoning. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm just going to kind of let this pass and watch the rest of this show. Yeah. <laughs> like, in the next five minutes, I was like, no, no, I really need to go to the loo. I've definitely got food poisoning. Yeah. And then as I was sat there, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a good <laughs> Yeah. This is, I'm giving birth. It's that. It's a contraction. But how wild that, that your brain went to food poisoning. You know, yeah. like you totally. have that sense that people would be, well, yeah. quite a lot of people probably are quite uptight and tense about it and worrying and waiting, but to just. <laughs> yeah. And because I, like you, had been in NCT mm. and I've got three NCT groups, one for yeah. each of children um I like you had in the NCT been told that labor lasts about 48 hours yeah and that you might have to find lots of distractions perhaps you'll play a game of Scrabble perhaps (laughs) you'll sit on a birthing ball which I had bought you know you'll be drinking sipping from your raspberry leaf tea that you have in a flask to ease the contractions of your womb and so I was thinking okay this feels like really you know, I've had dysentery, so I know what really bad food poisoning feels like. Yeah. And I, but this is like really quite heavy grade food poisoning. I don't think I can sit through this for 48 hours going on a walk occasionally. <laughs> yeah. But I sat with it for about sort of 20 minutes. And mm. then I said to Simon, I think I'm going to be have to be one of those people who just gets anesthetized completely. Yeah. From, because I can't take this. Yeah. So after about 20 minutes, we got in the car. I couldn't actually sit down to get in the car. Yeah. So I went um, on all fours on the back seat of the car. <laughs> yeah. And Simon drove us to the hospital. We were living in Putney and it was at Chelsea. And we went to Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. And that's probably about 20 minutes away. So that was like almost an hour. Yeah. And then when we got there... They didn't really examine me properly because I, they said, when did you first get your contraction? And I was like, oh, about, about 45 minutes ago. <laughs> They're like, yeah, They're here like, she is, early, so early. Yeah. This is your first baby. <laughs> and they really gave me the full sort of NCT treatment of basically, you know, loser. Yeah. And they just kind of gave me a swab for, um, what is that thing that they think everybody's going to, strap. Okay. They gave me the swab for strap because they don't like the baby. The baby can get strap B Mm -hmm. when it's coming out of you. And anyway, so I did that. They didn't really examine me. And then after about another hour, they came back and said, look, we need to decide what's going on with you because we might just have to send you home. (laughs) And then they examined me and I was eight centimetres dilated. Yeah. I said, um, I've got my birthing plan and I really want to have a water birth. And they said, I uh, don't think we're going to have time for that, actually. But um, just keep, keep going and um, we'll come back to you in a minute. And then they just kind of forgot about us for about another hour. And then when they came back, they they um, checked me again and I was 10 centimetres dilated. And, yeah. and they said, OK all right, well, we'll get you in the birthing pool. And so I got into this birthing pool and then as soon as I got in it, the midwife basically said, I think she's actually going to have this baby right now. <laughs> and, and then, oh, then it was, it was pretty horrible actually this bit. So yeah. then um, 
I haven't told this story in such a long time. This is really nice. It's great. I love it. And then because they hadn't really examined me, because it all seemed to be so fast and unexpected for a first baby, they had no record of any kind of heartbeat. They they had no record Uh of the baby's heartbeat because they hadn't examined. And then by the time a baby is about to be born, it's very low in the birthing canal notice my jargon and, very low, and they then they can't get the heartbeat because it's just obscured yeah. by yeah. it's about to come out so they can't feel where it is so they couldn't have a trace of the baby's heartbeat and they began to get very panicked yeah um which they wouldn't have done if they had previously yeah yeah, yeah. everything's fine so for all they knew there was no record of any heartbeat from me having arrived mm. so they then started to panic and um, basically, I, all I can remember is they just sort of then put me on a, on a, got me out of the pool, put me on a hospital bed and said, push. <laughs> and then um, I don't know how, I'm not quite sure how they know this, but one of the midwives then said, I'm pretty sure the baby's cord is around the neck. Yeah. And so then they have to like put their hand in and just kind of hook around yeah, as it yeah, comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. But they said, you know, this baby needs to come out really fast because we don't have a trace of the heartbeat. And I'm quite an overachiever. So I took this as like a major instruction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I pushed like, I don't know, I don't want to boast, but I pushed harder than anyone's ever pushed yeah in any context yeah, they measured that in, in human experience yeah and um and he came out and he was totally fine yeah um however i had just pushed so hard that i kind of ruptured my entire body from the inside out oh wow uh, and I had a episiotomy. Um, yeah. No one should ever have to know the meaning of. Yeah. Um, as he came out, because they're so panicked, they wanted to be in a hurry, and all this business of, oh, why didn't you just massage your perineum with some almond oil, oh, and then yeah, yeah. it comes out, it will just ease out. Yeah. But no, none of that shit. So I had a quite severe hemorrhage. Um, yeah. And I lost a lot of blood. I didn't have to have a blood transfusion, but I came pretty close. Yeah. And I had lots of doctors came and started trying to stop me from bleeding. And um, I said lots of dramatic things like, please don't worry about me. Just make sure my child lives. <laughs> um, but that kind of thing is not as dramatic as it sounds unless you get to the stage where you need a blood transfusion, which is common to lose quite a lot of blood. So that was a bit sad because I didn't have that moment of, yay, I've had my baby and now I'm doing coming because I had lots of kind of intervention, but that only lasted about 20 minutes probably afterwards. Yeah. And then after that I was fine, except then I was really exhausted, really injured and um you know completely butchered in the <laughs> business area yeah and I had this fucking baby to look after yeah. and yeah. then you know about half an hour after all of this they say oh thank you very much to the father he has been very supportive <laughs> now he can go home yeah he can go like, oh. no no <laughs> I can't do this on my own but he had to go home then did he 
Oh yeah. yeah, I don't know how it was now. You know, this is sixteen years ago. Well, we know but... that. I think the the partners can stay in much longer, but because of coronavirus, it's like two hours or yeah, something yeah. afterwards. Then it's shipped off. Yeah, because yeah. I thought they just let you, you know, sleep in a chair next. Yeah, that's what because you see it in films. I always yeah. always assume that, and then yeah, it, it wasn't until NCT when I realised. Especially they said it at the minute if you have a. Uh, emergency cesarean obviously but depending on the, the time post, yeah. you know and like basically you might just have to leave the hospital and you won't see i wouldn't i wouldn't see hannah till the next day and the baby so yeah. it's pretty brutal so that's obviously the last thing that we'd like to happen mm. yeah but i don't know when it comes down to it you just end up going with the flow yeah totally yeah. i mean there is yeah, yeah don't, i mean i wouldn't be that i wouldn't be that guy yeah i wouldn't be standing there going i will not leave this hospital <laughs> i'm not that sort of guy but like i think i'd just be sad at home it is it is it's a very strange experience and and you're surrounded by other women who've gone through exactly the same thing yeah nobody's in a fit state to help anybody else and you know the poor midwives and nurses with the best will in the world especially now yeah you know they just haven't got the resources to do everything that would be ideal yeah so you just got to kind of muddle through and get out of there as quick as you can I think yeah I guess that I mean that is one of the things that I think attracts me and us to the idea of home birth that sort of being in your own space and all those things about being when you're somewhere comfortable and that then if you if it is a longer labor than than your than yours were that potentially or often when when you move from home to hospital then people's dilation goes you know that it closes up again the vagina closes up and because of the change in situation because you just don't feel safe instinctively and the things about afterwards if you're at home you get to go to sleep in your own bed and that kind yeah, of thing yeah i mean i i agree with everything you're saying i would not have i had a home birth with my second baby yeah. vera who's now 13 i would not i don't know what i would do now but i don't think i would have been able to uh, mentally able to have a, a home birth with the first one mm. I wouldn't have been able to make that kind of mental leap yeah. between thinking I have no idea what I'm doing to yes I can manage this but I know many people who have yeah have had a, a first birth at home um I think as long as you're confident of the midwifery services you're going to get yeah and that you know you can get to the hospital in time if something needs in the if you need some kind of intervention or you know you can get an ambulance too quickly yeah well this is the thing because we because um I had a midwife appointment yesterday and she said she asked me where I was giving birth and I said oh um Queen Charlotte's hospital and then a little bit later I was like I just assume that home births aren't happening still because the last appointment we had they they said that they weren't offering home births because mainly because they didn't have the emergency services available because emergency services were, were on call for coronavirus um, yeah. situations and things like that. Um, and that's why they weren't offering them. And she was like, oh, we just reinstate. We just started again last week. So suddenly that shift from going, starting to get used to the idea of just hospital and now going, oh, it could be at yeah. home again. And one of the things that really made me feel confident in the idea of home birth is I went to a session with some of the midwives um, where you got to ask a whole lot of questions and I just thought they're amazing like I thought they're amazing and I could trust 
everything about them and their knowledge and their um, their skill and their and, and and all the things they told you about about transferring to hospital and what they have with them and how similar they're the same people who work on the ward and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, they are. Made me feel really confident in the in the service that they provide. Yeah, I mean, I think if you do decide to do it, the way to think of it is you're going to start your labour with a home birth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. think of it that. And, and you just, you know, be guided by your midwife and she'll have a secondary midwife who'll be able to take over if it goes over a certain amount of time. And as long yeah. as you know both of them in advance and they know your history, then hopefully you have enough time during the process if anything needs yeah. a hospital transfer that you can make that decision I think what gets difficult with people is when they set their heart on it yeah and they're absolutely devastated by yeah, a hospital yeah. transfer which is you can do nothing to prevent a hospital transfer no no yeah I think I'm I'm fine on, on that perspective of it Hello, I'm Justin. And I'm Lucy. And together we are the hosts of Plenty Questions. It's a very straightforward general knowledge quiz. We ask you 20 questions, one after the other, five second gap in between, and you shout the answers out. And then you tweet us to let us know how you've got on. See if you can get 20 out of 20. No one has so far, but that's because we haven't started doing it yet. Mm, But we will. Uh, And there's also going to be some fiendish brain teasers, so join us for Plenty Plenty Questions. Questions. 
Um, and I was also really lucky because my um, I'd moved house then, and we and we live in Teddington, so we were attached to West Middlesex Hospital, and they had a protocol then. I don't know if they still have it now, which is called case loading. And that's where your midwife is attached to you throughout, not literally attached to you, that's the word, <laughs> attached to you throughout your pregnancy. Yeah. So from the moment you first see a midwife at like 16 weeks or something, or, or probably be later than that, wouldn't it? Um, you always see that person. It's guaranteed. Mm. So uh. the midwife, I only ever saw her and she attended the birth. Yeah. And that was amazing. Yeah. But yeah. I know hardly anybody else who's had that experience. No. And I was very lucky that they were trialing that. And then when I came to be pregnant with my third baby, I had the same midwife again, who'd already seen me give birth in my kitchen. Yeah, next. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that baby was so late. He went to 43 weeks and I was being monitored daily um, because it was so late. He was so late. Um in the end, I couldn't really have that baby at home because I had to be induced and have my waters broken. Yeah. Which neither me or the midwife agreed with because we both said, look, she's seen me given birth, giving birth. I've had a four hour labor, a one hour labor. Yeah. That thing's going to come out like a rocket. Yeah. And we both said, we don't want this. And they're like, well, it's 43 weeks now. So you're off the books. Yeah. What do you want and so we did it, and they come out in forty minutes. <laughs> so when they say off the books, what's what was? I mean, obviously, it's basically off the books is that you've gone against hospital advice, right? So if I had declined to be induced, or if I'd have said, "Look, I know I'm forty three weeks, but I'm going to let this baby come when he wants," or yeah. I insist on a home birth, um, the the midwife had told me that she she couldn't attend a home birth. Yeah. In that in those conditions. Right. Because she wouldn't be legally covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the hospital's basically saying, look, if if you're insisting on doing this your way, we can't take responsibility. Yes. Which is the right thing for them to do. But is that that's um, quite is yeah, that quite yeah. a last resort though? because um, we I just mentioned to you before about that that I've been invited to have an induction which I want to try and not have, but at at thirty nine weeks as well. Um whereas it, would it be unlikely that they'd put me off the books then? Oh no, they, they would only really say that to you if you went uh, if you tried to go over forty two weeks. Yeah, right. Which is fairly unusual. You know, I've written quite a lot about this and researched it, and yeah. it's very common for people to, once you go past forty one, uh, no, forty plus ten days. Mm they're getting really nervous about that and it's mostly because there's no uh, research into it because who would sign up to be part of a study you know nobody would sign up to that study yeah, so yeah. there's no evidence really so they have to err on the side of caution um but you know all the evidence around the dating of pregnancies is incredibly imprecise because yeah. of people's menstrual people's women's yeah. menstrual cycles um, so what looks like 39 weeks to someone else is 41 to someone else is 37 to someone else. So yeah. when my 43 week baby came out, he was actually the smallest of my three babies. And the midwife said, wow, this baby's not overcooked. Yeah, like, right. Babies, and yeah. this isn't one of them. Because there is a... 
the yeah, thing they, that they get prune-like or something, don't they? That's right, yeah, the skin gets wrinkles, yeah. Right. Like if you've been in the water for too long. Oh, yeah, If yeah, you've yeah. been in there for too long, <laughs> you come out But, yeah, I think, I don't know, it's really hard because I don't want to be too harsh on, on hospitals because, no. of course, they have to have protocol and they're just trying to keep you safe. But it is done because of protocol. Yeah. Yeah. And because they want to control it. But, again, that's things that, because of things that I've been reading and just hearing how, or reading about how um, the doctors who attend births attend births once it's become to a stage where doctors need to attend it. So midwives attend lots of really natural, normal births with no need to have a doctor there. So what they're used to seeing is when something has to happen. So that's what they go towards rather than trying to allow allow it to be what it is for the for the mother you know have you got to the stage of trying to induce it yourself no not yet (laughs) too early okay because I've done like every trick in the book for that because I've done you know 42 and 43 week pregnancies yeah the hottest curry under the sun I've eaten the interiors of pineapples like the inedible bit of the pineapple yeah I've done moxibustion, which is this thing where you hold a... Oh, yeah, acupuncturists do that, don't they? Yeah. Your baby toe. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, I've done all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> come out. And they didn't work? Well, I did them all and eventually the babies came out. Yeah. And the one that needed to be induced. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm more that... I'm at the other end as well because I've been on progesterone because... Um, I told the I told the midwives quite early on that I'd had a abnormal cells removed from my cervix seven years ago, right. and they said that that can mean the cervix is weaker. And they wanted to they referred me to the premature clinic just to keep that monitored um, because if it's weaker and it shortens too early, then you give birth prematurely. So they were measuring my cervix, and it was supposed to be three centimeters. It went two point five. So I'd been on progesterone just to try and keep that steady the whole time. So in my head, it's been like, you have to stay in there as long as possible. You have to stay in there as long as possible. You're not coming out yet. But I've just finished taking the progesterone last week. Yeah. So now it's like, oh, I wonder if anything's going to change. You're only 34 weeks. Aren't yeah. You? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A way to go, yeah. 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 It's still, it's definitely still getting closer. And the midwife who I saw yesterday, she said, oh, why did you stop taking it? And I was like, I have some vague memory of someone saying finish at 34 weeks. And I did look up online the other day just to check and it seemed to be kind of 34 to 36 weeks that you stop. And she was just like, you can just keep taking it a little bit longer. So I'm just going to decide if I'm going to do that. Because yeah. it has made me, I, I, my, I've got a little bit emotional. I reckon, I? yeah. So Hannah <laughs> stopped taking it three days ago. And I mean, that genuinely like has had the most... You know, I've you know, even on NCT, I'm not saying this as a, as the guy going like you know hormonal bloody women pregnant, uh, but at NCT, like a lot of the mothers to be were talking about how they've been quite emotionally turbulent throughout their pregnancies, and Hannah has not been literally has not been a single change of emotion in how she is normally to pregnant. Uh, and then the last two days since she stopped taking progesterone, she's had a couple of little moments of like, just I can see that she's not yeah. herself. 
and um, and that's sort of we're just there. So now we're convinced it was the it's the, the progesterone has actually kept her on this super level headed. Nothing can phase <laughs> me pregnancy. Mm. And she knows if we're right. <laughs> yeah. We've basically done our own study into <laughs> couples who argue during pregnancy. It turns out take progesterone and you're absolutely fine. You should definitely give that out to all couples all the time. And then it's um I've Josie Long did a podcast. Um Josie and Johnny are having a baby before before they had their baby. And I was listening to the other day and progesterone sent her cuckoo. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah, I suppose it's like drugs isn't it some people certain drugs don't agree with them some some do um, but yeah <laughs> did you if, with your pregnancies you said you had pretty good time with them as well yeah um yeah as far as I remember you know yeah. the, this is the weird thing what we were saying at the beginning of this conversation that when you're pregnant you're really interested in pregnancy yeah. <laughs> and then you, and then you become a parent yeah least one baby or maybe you have more and you just don't care about preg- being pregnant anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. I've just totally forgotten what it's like to be pregnant um I didn't have any no I, I, never, I never had any sickness I was always absolutely mystified by people who had sickness um I still am slightly I'm not saying I don't believe in it I've I've seen it many times yeah but I never had any sickness um I did get absolutely massive but you know that's because I a lot of food that I shouldn't have eaten. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, um, no, I felt very happy when I was pregnant, actually. There was a thing the midwife said to me the other day that um, with with your first pregnancy, how your uterus is quite tight, you know, it's all tight and the muscles in there are quite tight. And how how then the following pregnancies, everything's a bit looser, so the babies move around more and you can become bigger like that. And yeah. yeah. Because I've, I've been feeling that I'm not that, I don't feel that big. Although on our scans, our baby is in, always in the like Top. 99th percentile, yeah, 89th yeah. percentile. She is massive. She's, Do you know that you're having a girl? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. Yeah, she's a, she's a big baby. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, to, to, say, to sound like somebody out of the 1950s, you seem to be carrying very high. <laughs> yeah, there it goes. You're yeah. carrying high. <laughs> Yeah, um, but then that, that might be a first baby thing because yeah, once you, once yeah. everything's been loosened down there, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's not pretty. <laughs> did we, did you, during your first pregnancy? Did you read a lot about what to expect once the baby had come along? Did you go through that sort of manic book, what, reading? What, what to expect when you're expecting still exists? I, I think it, it does. It does. We don't have it, no. but it's a big yeah, that was fat Bible, Bible when I was. Mm. Uh, and it's so ridiculous right. um, yeah I read I can't tell you how much I read I I read everything yeah. I mean I it, particularly with the first one and the second one once I decided I was going to have a home birth mm. um, I read m- enough material to become a midwife if not a guy <laughs> yeah. and I honestly you've got the scissors in your bag now <laughs> I would really drive midwives and stuff crazy because I would be like well, yes, but what if this is going to be a placenta previa? <laughs> also, because I was doing a lot of journalism then. So my journalism was really, it was before I I didn't start to do comedy until I had my third baby. Yeah. Um, I was doing a lot of journalism and 
it was and this was like pre Facebook, pre podcasts and and I used to write a lot for The Guardian and it was the only place where you could read about weird things like why don't you have a lotus birth? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what a lotus no, I don't know what a lotus birth is when you, you don't detach the placenta. Ah, uh, yes. So you keep it attached to the baby and you sprinkle it with lavender oil and you just let it detach itself. <laughs> yeah. It takes about 10 days and you carry, you like wrap it up in newspaper and package it up in the nappy and... So I interviewed loads of people who had lotus births. I interviewed um, women who were breastfeeding five-year-olds. I went and spent time with them at home yeah. to see what this was like and why they did this. Um, I interviewed women who had had home breech births. Yeah. Right. So like feet first or bum first. Yeah. Wow. A bum first home breech birth. Mm-hmm. That's and what, would they have just been people that were totally dead set on this baby is coming out in my house? I'm not going. To yeah, hospital. I mean there was. I don't know how it is now. And um, this is kind of pre mums net and everything. So these were people I would find through NCT or yeah, yeah. La Leche League and all these sort of organisations. So they were very kind of like hippie Earth Mother types. Yeah, and all of those ideas. I think people are much more they know a lot more about them now because of the internet and because people can share stories so much more easily now. They're integrated a bit more. They were a bit more kind of underground then. They were definitely thought of as being weird. And I wanted to approach that with an open mind, like not necessarily being quite like that myself, but having sympathy for these people and why they wanted to do these things. Um, Also, I, I remember I loved writing, I wrote an article about free birthing and that's people who um, give birth without any medical assistance whatsoever, including a midwife. Right. Right. What, so just that they're in their own home, just almost style. just go about there. Right. Yeah. It's like, I'm having a bath. No, I'm having a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No midwife required. Okay. Uh, and that's completely fascinating as well. And I learned a lot about myself through researching all of that because I learned what, like, the limits of my own views are yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. What i think is okay and interesting in other people it doesn't mean i want to do it myself totally also because we've been reading like we're definitely read like reading them books at the minute about when the baby's very young so things about um you know do you introduce a sleeping pattern do you just let them be for the first few years it's just you know you're at the their you know the, their whims you know um do you like breastfeeding yeah mother-led or mother led, all these different baby things of how, like, and i think i'm definitely because i'm a hippie vegan I, I i totally support hannah if she went oh i want to breastfeed until they're three or something but you know but even i i think as a crystal wearing hippie if like you know if we if hannah was still breastfeeding at four i'd be like come on mate we're getting a bit out of hand <laughs> i think even i've got my limits on things that suddenly go from being a nice natural way of living to just a bit creepy well you realize as well like the longer you you go having children and as they grow up and everything and then you have other friends who who then have babies you realize how so many of these things that we hear about or we read about were asked to consider are influenced by fashion Mm. so i don't even know if would you have heard of gina ford no you haven't even heard of her so when I was first giving birth, like Gina Ford was the first word in this is what you must do with your baby. Right. 
and it was a really rigid um, 7 a.m. Baby wakes up. 7.05, baby feeds. 7.09, have a piece of toast. <laughs> it, it was a, an absolutely rigid hour-by-hour yeah. hour feeding schedule. And so many people I knew were doing it and swore by it and believed that it gave them freedom because yes. it meant that they guaranteed their baby would sleep for two and a half hours at lunchtime. And that was the only time they got to themselves. Yeah. Um, I had to work out for myself a method that kind of used bits of that and used bits of the other people because then the opposite of that is this thing called the continuum concept. You would right. love that, Carl. You've got to read the continuum <laughs> concept. The continuum concept is basically baby never leaves your body. Yeah. That's right. Until baby age three or four pushes you away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's baby wearing. Yes. Um, and so I tried to like do this mix of Gina mm. Ford, which is more or less your baby is a robot, through to continuum concept, which is basically you are at the service yeah. of this creature. You you are just the parasite. <laughs> Let it, or no, the opposite. Let the parasite feed off yeah, your yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tried to kind of make up my own rules and I think fill that's... my way with the needs of that particular yeah, baby. Yeah, They're yeah. all different as well. But that the way that then instinct does have to kick in still. Like even when you know, when you've read about things or you know about techniques or you're learning about it, still once the baby's there, then you're going to, you you have to make those choices, don't you? And you have to, yeah. you have to, yeah, you just have to make choices once that happens. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what's hard for people. And I'm interested to know like what you think of this and what your NCT friends think of this. But when I was first giving birth, and, and talking to a lot of men and women about how they were dealing with new babies and the disruption in your working life and everything. I just found that people had no confidence in their own instinct. Mm. And they were just constantly comparing themselves to other people, constantly worrying that their parenting was worse than somebody else's. Like, who cares about somebody else's parenting? seriously they're not your cut they're not you as a couple they're not your baby they don't know what your family is and every everybody was very judgmental actually particularly on themselves yeah Yeah. and i I wonder if that ties in with that idea we're saying earlier of like when you have a baby you've probably never held a baby before that you haven't seen other people having different parenting styles and that there are loads of ways to do this and no one way is right yeah and we don't really have i think enough conversations that say look whatever feels right to you is probably going to be the right thing yeah also i read a thing it's a really i can't remember the actual statistic it's really interesting it was about the percentage of new parents who lie about their baby's sleeping habits to other parents to make them sound like they've got a better baby essentially i suppose so like what then what that feeds in is then the other parents will be feeling like oh well we're doing it wrong so our baby's not sleeping but actually they're comparing themselves against something that isn't even real it's a lie so it's just this circle of people just sort of keeping face and actually they're not if everyone was just honest that no ours isn't sleeping and you know then everyone would just feel a lot more comfortable with what they're doing I suppose yeah I think I ended up being actually quite private about some of that stuff and I would you know listen to other people and not um, not not be vulnerable with people, but I, yeah, I think I really tried to just be develop my own confidence around what's the right thing to do. That's in, that I I 
I think I feel I'm feeling that at the moment a little bit as well. Just I guess as we get closer and as this is about to start both towards the birth and towards then having the baby, um, it feels like yeah, kind of gathering all these different pieces of advice and experience and reading that then just got to let it be and see how we go with it without trying to go to other people for for advice or, or to compare and all that kind of thing. That's 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 where my instinct's going as well, that sort of more private yeah. feeling. Yeah. And it seemed like, you know, the way throughout the pregnancy that we've read things and talked about things and the way that our thoughts maybe have shifted about some things yeah. and but I think we've both always I think we're quite lucky in that we're both on the same page we've always like we'll both read stuff and talk about it oh I'm reading this and uh, and then actually I've, I think almost consistently we both are on on a similar level of what we think is what, what, what we think our instinct will be when the baby comes along it's like one that I'm reading um about the book three in a bed at the moment about bed sharing which before until maybe two weeks ago I was like no way (laughs) that was not on the I kind of I felt weird about that and I sort of judged people from a distance that I knew had done that and so for me that's somewhere I don't I don't fully know where I stand with that yet I wonder if that's going to be something that we will try or that's going to happen but learning about the way it is culturally and the way how it became a fashion like you said for it in our culture for babies not to sleep in the same bed and blah, 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 blah. It's just yeah. kind of taking all that in and going, right, that's another element of it all. That's Have you what... read um, Spiritual Midwifery by Ina May Gaskin? I didn't read that one. I read, she's got another one called Birth Birth Stories, I think. Okay. And I've read that one. I was going to say, yeah, if you're thinking about home birth, yeah. if you really are committed to the idea after you've read Ina May Gaskin, then you really want a home birth. <laughs> I do the the book of hers that I read definitely, yeah, is part of why I feel like I could do it. Yeah, I've I've interviewed her. Oh, really? I'm, I don't. I meant to look up recently see if she's still alive. I interviewed her about ten years ago, mm. um, and she was then in her seventies or eighties. Mm-hmm. And she's she lives on the the last hippie commune on earth uh, in near Nashville. Yeah. And she's delivered, people think she's delivered more babies than any other midwife alive. Yeah. And she's delivered thousands of twin births. Um, she's delivered loads. She's one of the only midwives who've de- delivered multiple um, breech births. And she's, she where she is, she's near an Amish community. Yeah. They have, you know, up to 10, 11, 12 children, and she'll often deliver all of their children. Wow. And she does... I mean, she has, I think she has a referral rate to hospital of something like 4%. Yeah, it's tiny. Yeah, yeah it gives you an idea of in the best conditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still going to be a referral rate. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's she's really inspiring and incredible. And she, you know, she's like something out of another century. She kind of relates to childbirth and women and the whole process like somebody, like a wise woman. Yeah. 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 Well, that was the one Hannah would keep when she was reading it would keep t- like telling me snippets that I found really fascinating like intro and also just that from an outlook and ethos sort of thing of that just the idea that it's the most natural thing you can your body can do so like but we've sort of almost get in the way a lot do you know what I mean I quite I'm quite drawn to that idea 
Yeah, but, well, I probably shouldn't say this to you, but death is also a natural thing that the body... Yeah, can... totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested, like, you know, I'm sort of... I, even about death, I'm I'm quite philosophical, and I do think we over medicalize death. So that's a weird. But that's a that's for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it is. Yeah, it is true that I. What was a major breakthrough for me was to stop thinking of the process of giving birth uh, as being a process of fear. Yeah, I think of it as a process of opening and of welcoming that's super hippie right <laughs> opening and welcoming a new life into the world yeah. and allowing your body to do that and also mentally the pain in inverted commas it's not really pain it's it's process you know it's yeah. kind of good pain yeah. it's one of the only good pains that we experience yeah oh you know this is this might be one for you actually you know the sort of pain you get when you have lots of adrenaline and excitement around a performance yeah and your body is experiencing that in a very physical way and it could be seen as a pain yeah yeah yeah. because something good is going to happen which is that you're going to get lots of love from the audience it's going to be a great performance and you've got all this adrenaline that literal feeling in your body you don't think about that of like this is this is pain therefore it must be bad yeah but a birth experience is like that too you know it's 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 a sensation and our body is so used to thinking if I have a strong sensation in my body it's bad and I need to go and see a doctor yes well this is the one sensation that is not bad yeah I think that's it because I'm I'm an actor as well so that definitely that those experiences and I love doing I love doing plays about fucked up scenarios that I would never want to go through in my real life but I love being there for a for a show or something like that so I, I do I do connect those actor thoughts into the birth yeah. idea and with the Ina May um, stories definitely reading her stories to have positive birth stories quite early on in the pregnancy when what we see you know is the people are in films screaming with their legs yeah. up in the air and blah 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 or the one born every minute thing i think i think as a as a society we culturally only ever really hear about birth birth being quite a traumatic event yeah and actually you know what well, from doing this podcast and from you know re- hearing some of the things hannah's read and rereading some of the things when she's passed the books over i've to- i've i've gone from th- i i only knew about one type of birth really just because we have grown up in this country where i think that's all you hear about and it's really i've I've found it really interesting hearing so many different birth stories the the worst um, thing that i always fixate on when we see um birth depicted on television and you see this in one born every minute all the time and you see it in drama is that the woman is always on her back yeah I've never seen any birth where the woman's not on her back. And that's because you really can't sort of physically film it. It's because yeah. it's filmically yeah. more attractive and easy. But for me, the, the first birth I had, I kind of had to be restrained because it was this emergency scenario. So I was on my back and it was horrific. My second two, but the two births after that, I was on all fours. Yeah. which was where I was like fighting to get onto with my first one. Yeah. And most, if you talk to midwives, most women, if they're giving birth naturally, they want, and I've talked to Ina May Gaskin about it. Yeah. <laughs> they want to be on all fours because yeah. it's fucking gravity. Like, yeah. work out. <laughs> yeah. You know? 
definitely. And just the other thing you said as well about opening and welcoming. I just realised this week, like it's it's going to be her birth, but it's her birthday. And I really, I love yeah. birthdays. And I started getting excited about the fact that it's going to be her birthday soon. Oh, and that's, that's got so me, <laughs> it's got me excited in a new yeah, way. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think, I, we, I mean, we could keep talking to you for a very long time, oh, but I think we should let you go. Can I ask one question actually before you go, which is um, out of all the books you read, uh, is there one now with hindsight that you actually think like nailed some of the, some of the, th- things you know you probably couldn't prepare for or like especially with like having a newborn I suppose yeah I I think um Anne Enright operating instructions okay Anne Enright operating instructions yeah Anne Enright so that is maybe the kind of book that you might read when your baby is kind of getting closer to age one and you're more settled into the idea that now you're a parent and what does this mean? Yeah. Um, Anne Enright is a brilliant novelist, a Booker Prize winner, and I think this is the only non-fiction book that she's written. So it's beautifully written. It's very um, lyrical and, and funny and sharp, and it's a real sort of sideways take that kind of cuts through some of those self-helpy, um, the trouble with the baby books is that they're either kind of like too woo-woo and yeah. too hippie-ish or they're too like pseudo-sciencey. That's what, I, what was the one and, I'm reading at the minute, the one that's like a school book. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's Even the way it's laid out is annoying me as I'm reading it. It's called What Every Parent Should Know or something. And yeah. it's, oh, so it's tedious a, a to read. A novelist take on it I think is really useful. I hope I've remembered the title of that right. We'll I find it. We'll, yeah, well, yeah, we'll yeah. Find. And right. It cool. might be, or is it Making Babies? I can't remember. But there's, yeah, there's also Anne Lamott who wrote a similar book and I'm either yeah. confusing the, their titles with each other, but she's also a very novelistic kind of writer. Cool. I remember seeing that at some point and forgetting about that one. There's and one there thing... Is- we read um, a crazy, hippie book called The Mother Dance that I also love. Get it on the list. <laughs> Get it on the list. <laughs> we read Holly McNish's... Oh, that's a great book. What was it called? Uh, it's called Nobody book? Tells You. Nobody Told Nobody Told Me, which is a book of poetry that charts her, the like, finding out she was pregnant right through to when her child's three. Mm. And it's just little poems she's written it, at the, oh, low, at the lowest moments, at the highest moments. And it's just really honest. And there's ones that are really heartbreaking. There's ones that just really capture a moment that you can imagine of being a new parent that really are really lovely. Yeah. And well, it's just lovely. a, it's yeah, a, it's I'm a, just a great book. Now, and it is, yeah, Anne Enright is making babies. Mm-hmm. And Anne Lamott is operating instructions. Okay. And those would be my two top okay, cool. reads. And they're things I would still read now, actually. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's been well, really thank nice you for to allowing me to be close to your belly, <laughs> your fecundity. No, I even my fecundity. Even it's a shame that it's not actually in person that we're still in quarantine lockdown zone, but maybe you can you can meet the baby once she's out. Well, I will look forward to giving <laughs> that baby a squidge and trying not to kidnap it. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's a girl. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Oh, hello you. My name's Tom Price. Hello, I'm Dave Cribb. You should come and join us every day. We do a podcast called Cabin Fever, where we talk to loads of comedians who've had to cancel everything else in their lives. So they come on our podcast instead, don't they, Dave? Yeah, it's an isolation podcast. Uh, it's Dave, were you yawning at the start of that sentence then? Was it just a little yawn? Yeah, it's basically the Great Big Owl isolation podcast. We'll have people on from all our podcasts, from your Rule of Threes, your Brian and Rogers, your Musicals, your Bitchins. If you like any of our podcasts, if you like any of those people, chances are they'll be logging onto the Zoom call and just chatting because, let's face it, they got nothing else to do. Also, there'll be a quiz on the bill. All right, see you soon. Lots of love. Cabin F-E-A-3709. Oh, 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 that's our Twitter name.